Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all to worship this morning. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you're a longtime member, a visitor, someone that's here all the time. Still grab that pew pad at the end of the pew and complete the information and pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. Just a few announcements to share with you this morning. Uh, first, <clears throat> we have a few more uh, Wednesday nights left um, of our current Lenten series, and so if you've not made it to one of those yet, We'd love to have you join us for one of those. And before that, you can come for uh, for uh, dinner as well. So we hope you make plans to do that. Also, if you'd like to have tulips prepared for um, in memory or honor of someone, you can do that by contacting the office. But I think uh, the due date is like maybe tomorrow. So uh, if you could do that, that would be great. Um, also, uh, we're going to have a cleanup day uh, a little bit later this month. And so if you have a free Saturday morning on the 23rd, we'd love for you to come to the church. We're just going to get some stuff out of the way. Hopefully we can uh, pitch some of it, but we're also going to set up for the yard sale uh, that's happening a little bit later in the spring. Uh, so we're going to try to give some of our goodies. Hopefully you read that in the Presby record that we're going to be helping out the Spay and Neuter Clinic. Uh, let them raise a little funds to help with uh, pets in the Kanawha County area. Again, we're thrilled that you're worshiping with us. What's that? Shred day. Yes. When is shred day, Buck? Same day as, Same day as cleanup day. If you need to bring stuff to shred, uh, that is open to anybody here in the church. We're going to let some other churches know about it. But if you need things to be shredded, uh, you can 12 to 4 on that same day on April 23rd, you can bring that to the church. Uh, it is free for you to bring your stuff. So uh, please don't bring, you know, like your entire household uh, of shredding that needs to be done. But we'll do as much as we can of your important documents that need to be shredded. Uh, don't tell too many friends because there'll be a big lineup. And, you know, we heard a horror story of someone bringing an entire U-Haul truck full of things to shred. So uh, that's not what we're looking for. <laughs> but if you need to get rid of some documents, as do we, the church, we have some documents to shred. Uh, so please, you could talk to Buck. Buck has done all the work on that for us. So please talk to him about that as well. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's prepare to worship the Lord. morning. Our call to worship comes from the Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the naked. 
May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Come, let us worship the triune God. Will you rise if you're able to sing our first opening hymn, number 215, What Wondrous Love Is This? Peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. The children of God fight against sin. They sob and mourn when they find themselves tempted to do evil. And if they fall, rise again with earnest and unfeigned repentance. They do these things not by their own power, but by the power of the Lord Jesus, apart from whom they can do nothing. Merciful Lord, we confess that with us there is an abundance of sin, but in you there is fullness of righteousness and abundance of mercy. We are spiritually poor, but you are rich, and Jesus Christ came to be merciful to the poor. Strengthen our faith, trust in you. We are empty vessels that need to be filled. Fill us. We are weak in faith, Strengthen us. 
We are cold in love. Warm us and make our hearts fervent for you that our love may go out to one another and to our neighbors. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only Christ. Yet we know that Christ came for us, He lived with us, He died for us. He rose again to a new life for us and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Apostle Paul reminds us that He prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming God was reconciling the world to Himself, that our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace and pray also for me as sinner. Amen. be seated. The Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or, or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, so that they may declare my praise. This is the word of our Lord. be seated. At this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. What are we going to do today? Well, I have, I have a question for you. How many of you have ever washed your own feet? You don't wash your feet? Okay, you're excluded from this activity. How, do you all wash your feet on a regular basis? Yes, okay. Olivia does? No? It's okay. Oh, well, I just washed the top. The top, not the bottom. Not the bottom, okay. Not the part you walk on, just the part that gets walked on sometimes, right? Yeah? Okay. So, yes, sir? No, sir. You're not sure? Okay, all right. Sometimes kids don't wash their feet. Okay. Now, here's the next question. How many of you have ever washed somebody else's feet? Who wants to wash my feet? Who? You put it in a tube? All right. Sounds like, have you ever done that? You don't want to wash my feet. Why not? They smell so good. You want to try? Yes. Sometimes it is good to wash our hands, like all the time, probably, to wash our hands, right? 
Well, so the story that I'm getting ready to read is a time where Jesus went to his friend's house. No, no. Instead, somebody took out a huge bottle of really expensive perfume and poured it on her hair and then used her hair to wash Jesus' feet. Now, who wants to do that at church? Because of my beard? You think because I have a beard I want to wash people's feet with my beard? That's like a Brillo pad, man. That's like scrubbing pots and pans. That doesn't do much for feet. Why do you think they would do that? Why do you think they would wash their feet? There you go. Okay. All right. Why do you think you would wash people's feet? Why do you think that she, why do you think the woman wanted to wash Jesus' feet? Okay. She wanted sins forgiven. Okay. What else might, might she have done that? Use oil in the bottle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how that perfume was. The perfume was like oil and water too. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did it smell good? No, it didn't smell good. Okay, that's all right. Well, a brown turtle is better than a green turtle in that scenario, I think. Yes. And it would make his feet smell better, right? And so here's the weirdest part of the whole story. Okay. So as weird it is that somebody washed Jesus' feet with her hair, somebody got mad about it. Do you know why they got mad? Because it was really expensive perfume. And they said, Jesus isn't worth that. We should have sold that perfume and taken the money and given it to the poor. And do you know what Jesus said? Kind of right. Okay, I'll grant you that. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have the poor with you every day. You can take care of them every day. But you only have the Lord with you today. What she has done is a good thing. Well, it would be we would sell it and give them the money, right? But poor people can use perfume too. Contrary to popular opinion, they like to smell good too, right? So what we're going to do, I think I've lost all control of the crowd today. And so I think it's time for us to pray, okay? Let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you, and we're so glad. Someone washed your feet, and you told us to do the same. Please help us wash our own feet and wash other people's feet too. We love you. Amen. Come sit down. I already knew it was going to be a hard story to tell. And then I didn't do any justice to it, so. Probably, yes, his feet probably smell bad. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8 is our gospel text this day. Hear God's holy word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with Jesus. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 3,000 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. 
Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for this story that you've granted us, the opportunity to read and experience this day. Lord, we ask for your spirit's understanding of this story. We ask these things in the name of your son. Amen. Have you ever been bored? Anybody ever been bored? Admit to You're not allowed to say that you're bored right now. You're not allowed to say that this is boring. But have you ever been bored? My mom uh, used to say things to me like, Mom, I'm bored half to death. And she would say, well, I hope you don't have, that hasn't happened twice to you, right? That's, that's... <laughs> Children uh, often tell us that they're bored. Um, and if they ever have three minutes of spare time, you know, that's, and nothing is happening, then, then it gets really boring. Um, and I like to think that <clears throat> I don't get bored very easily because I, I can typically find myself drifting off into thought. Uh, yesterday we were working in the yard and I wasn't working nearly as hard as someone thought I should be working. And so that person came outside and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm thinking. And she said, I think you've thought enough. It's time to to work. She was bored watching me think. And so sometimes that happens. And I think the reason I wanted to talk about perhaps issues that might bore us is there are, there are times in our lives when we enjoy doing something and we're not getting to do that thing which we enjoy. And so we say, this is, this is kind of boring. And so maybe we even have routines. Routines are part of human nature where we have a specific day for a specific task. Uh, we may not think of it this way, but you, if, I, if I say what day is trash day, immediately you know what, what day that is. And so you know the night before you have to take your trash outside, which means you have to do all the things to get ready to take your trash outside. And that may seem like a mundane task, um, but it's not something that's boring. What's boring is when you don't have a task at hand and then you can't find something else to do. And I think what probably challenges humanity the most is when we have those set routines, we know what to expect, we have our regimented you know, daily chore charts or whatever it is, and then suddenly something new is added into our schedule. Now, that newness is definitely not boring. That newness is something that usually either grabs us and we're excited about or immediately we're repulsed by it, right? And so depending on how we are as a human, we're either going to like get defensive of I don't like change or oh my gosh, I can hardly wait for this to happen. And I think that's part of human nature. I, I heard horror stories yesterday of, did anybody travel on I-64 yesterday? Thank God above, because you'd still be there, I think. But when I woke up yesterday morning, several of my friends who were trying to go to Charleston or go south or something like that, evidently I-64 was a parking lot yesterday. And there was no warning. You know, the state government has put up those warning signs that say, you know, mile marker such and such. Well, evidently that person was on vacation because there was no warning. And so everybody was just complaining that they had some place to be and they couldn't get there. There was a newness to the road <laughs> in that everything shut down quickly and you couldn't get someplace. And so anger ensued. Now, in the grand picture, hopefully, knock on wood, once they finish I-64 and all the work that's supposed to happen by 2025, we're going to be able to just breeze through there and sing Kumbaya together, right? But in the meantime, there's this terrible, boring change of scenery that we have to endure. The unavoidable truth is, I think, unfortunately, for change to take place, something kind of has to die in order for something else to kind of be given birth. We have to sit in traffic or as my case was yesterday, I have to till the entire yard so that hopefully one day we'll have grass. 
in our backyard. That has to happen before we can enjoy something else. Death, in some ways, has to precede birth. If you, if you ever have been in a delivery room and you've been able to witness that glorious, miraculous birth, you, you know that that child is typically not thrilled to having been born. How do we know that? Because it is screaming its ever-loving head off, right? Because it has been comfortable in the womb, and now it's cold, and weird things are touching its body that's never happened before, and it screams. Ask a teenager how painful it is to move away from friends and try to find new friends. It's not fun. Ask a recent graduate from college what their life is like now that they work for a living as compared to what they did when they were in school and didn't have much of a responsibility. Ask a couple who didn't have children, who suddenly now have a child, about what it's like to no longer get to do whatever you want to do but have to entertain that child on a regular basis. Change is very difficult. Certain things, certain ways of thinking have to change in order for us to get a desired action. Sometimes what's comfortable has to be left in order for us to get a desired action. And if we don't experience a challenge and a newness of life, then really all we're waiting for is just to kind of die. Part of living is changing. And instead of embracing some of that excitement that Change is ultimately going to be somewhat good. Nine times out of ten, I would say we kind of resist change. I won't ask for a show of hands. But if suddenly we started communion at the beginning of service and then, you know, did the prelude at the end of the service, you might ask some questions about what's going on, right? That's not normal. That's not how we worship. And so sometimes it's really difficult when a new thing happens. Now, often, I don't, I don't do this often in sermons, but today we're going to spend almost as much time on the Old Testament text as we do on the New Testament text, okay? Not a longer sermon, just equally split. Don't worry, it's not new. I won't do this all the time, right? Did you pay attention much to what Buck read from Isaiah? Isaiah 43, in all, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of at the tail end of what we would call 2nd Isaiah or Deutero-Isaiah. It really is God's resume. If you go back and read all of, of Isaiah 43, um, you're going to see that God has kind of walked uh, the Israelite people through what he's done historically. Um, and we're, we're, we're told, at, the, at our reading at least, to kind of forget the past. Now, the Israelite people have not had a great past at this point in time in history. They've had a decent past. They had the great King Saul, who kind of united everybody. King David, quite a bit better. King Solomon, the greatest, I would say, for all of Israel to have really thrived. But after Solomon died, it kind of it didn't go so well after that. They've had great armies, great warriors, horses, chariots. They've had all these amazing things. They conquered. They were doing pretty well. And then they got a little greedy, and they split into two kingdoms. It's unfortunate, but power does that to people. We in our own country know what happens. You know, when we disagree about things, we had our own civil war. So what ha what's happening in Isaiah 43 is really God saying, I'm going to do something new for you. And all of the things that you hold on to that are part of your identity, that really kind of increase how you understand life, all of this pain from your past, I just want you to forget it because I don't want you to live a life where that's who you are. I don't want you to go through life now kind of with a victim mentality. In order for God to do something new with the Israelite people, unfortunately, they were cast away into Babylon, into Assyria. They were split. They were taken away from their place. Now, I would argue that one of the greatest things that happened in the second exile is that we got the Babylonian Talmud, which is an amazing interpretation, I think, of what the old what we call the Old Testament is. 
the understanding of what happened while they were in captivity, the Babylonian Talmud is, is just fantastic. Not that the other ones aren't, but, but that understanding really gives us as Christians a great view of what's happening in, the, in what we call the First Testament. So Isaiah 43 is the Lord's resume. It presents all of his credentials. This is who I am. I'm the creator. I do all these amazing things. And I'm even going to destroy things that challenge you. I'm going to put rivers and lakes in the desert. I'm going to make things grow where things don't grow. I'm going to give you this amazing gift. I am the redeemer of Israel. I am going to redeem you. I am going to give you this gift because my promise to you as my people is never ending. Two verses before our reading today, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. He is establishing exactly who He is and why He loves His people. And He's going to give them this great, beautiful thing. They had to go through junk to get to it. It's unfortunate, but then they were gifted with their freedom. Fast forward 500 years-ish, we have Jesus in a home with his friends. This is after Jesus has resurrected Lazarus. This is right before Jesus is going into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and they're having dinner. And it it's tells us that many Judeans trust in Jesus, which we might not grasp the concept of, but Jesus is from Galilee. Judeans are, are closer to Jerusalem, and so he's gained some followers near Jerusalem, especially here in Bethany. And it says that uh, Jesus is experiencing some challenges from the authorities, um, if you read other parts of John chapter 11, the Romans are going to, there's this fear that the Romans are going to destroy uh, both the holy place and the nation, all these things that Isaiah promised us. If, if Jesus doesn't stop what he's doing, we're afraid he's going to, that Rome is going to come in and destroy what we have. And so the chief priests and the Pharisees plot to kill Jesus in 1153. In the face of this threat, Jesus goes to Ephraim, and the people wonder if Jesus is ever going to make it back to Jerusalem for Passover, and then our text is Jesus in Bethany. So he's, ha- he's at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Martha is serving dinner, as we would expect Martha to do. That's what Martha do- does, right? Lazarus is chilling out at the table. He's probably trying to figure out what happened while he was dead, <laughs> and why he's there, and why he feels strange. And Mary does a Mary thing, and she grabs this pound of ointment, and she anoints Jesus and washes his feet with her hair. Now, that's weird. Can we all admit that that's weird? Right? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have had someone wash your feet with their hair. I have not. I don't anticipate that ever happening to me. I just think it's odd. It was odd in the first century as well. It's not something that women and men typically engaged in at a dinner party, nonetheless, right? So it's odd. There are lots of things that we could be talking about if this were in the text, but what's not in the text is that they said it was weird. What's said in the text is that Judas, he gets upset that this stuff is expensive. We could have sold this and given it to the poor. Now, I'm going to step outside of the pulpit, just say this. I don't know that Judas was a thief or if John was really mad that he sold Jesus out, right? Because it's in parentheses in my text. Is it in parentheses in your text as well? Probably. But they didn't really like Judas all that well, so it's really easy to make Judas the scapegoat here and make him be the one to be like, we could have given this to the poor, and then say he really didn't care about the poor He thought it was as weird as the rest of us, but he's the one that spoke, right? Now, what's interesting is nothing really happened when Lazarus was raised from the dead. There was no, like, ceremonial washing or anything like that that took place. 
But there was a, a, a historical practice of preparing somebody's body to be buried. We know that from John's gospel later when Jesus is buried, the women go to the tomb to prepare his body for the final resting spot. And so it's really one of those weird places where death has happened, but resurrection has taken place. We as Christians know the end of the story. Jesus is going to die and is resurrected. And so what Jesus turns this into that nobody else is paying attention to is he looks at, at, at Judas and says, she's preparing me for my burial. And kind of just like right now, you could hear a pin drop. Because everybody's like, what? I mean, you're a 33-year-old dude. We don't live that long, but I'm pretty sure you've got some good years ahead of you, Jesus. You're doing some good stuff. You're not going to die. There's no possible way that that's what's getting ready to happen. And about that time, you can imagine, just like what Jack said, the whole house will be filled with this smell. It's in our noses. We can't escape it. And so you've got this You've got this change that has occurred. Judas speaks, says something about the poor. None of the other disciples have a speaking role here, just Jesus. Leave her alone. She's preparing me for burial. You always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. Mary has recognized that Jesus is, in fact, very special. And, and she has no way of thanking him for bringing her brother back from the dead. But I doubt very seriously that she thought she was anointing Jesus for his death. Who really knows her intentions? We have no idea. But Jesus knows that this is the beginning of the end. This is the great preamble to a new thing. The death of God. Something new is about to happen. The desert is getting an oasis that feeds a river. New life is about to emerge. As one life wanes, another one is waxing. What is seen as wasteful and maybe even rude is corrected by Jesus as being the most appropriate offering of love. It's precious and necessary. Perhaps some of the disciples will remember the washing of Jesus' feet by Mary when Jesus, a few days later, says, I want to wash your feet, and I want you to wash other people's feet as well. Maybe they'll remember Jesus stripped down, tie a towel around his waist, wash his disciples' feet, and then give them a command, love one another as I have loved you. And at least one person might argue with them and say, this is not the way, it's not the way it's always been. You can't wash my feet. And maybe they'll remember the discussion about what a waste the expensive perfume was. What a shame it is that Mary sacrificed great expense and a valuable part of her life for Jesus. Maybe they didn't understand it until they saw his blood fall from his head his hands and his feet. Maybe they didn't understand it until they watched as he drew his last breath and cried out from the cross, it is finished. Maybe they didn't understand until the soldier plunged the spear into his side and the blood and the water spurted out. And maybe then someone thought, what a waste. But surely no one thought, wow, this is something new. Because for all of the Jews that lived in Israel during the time of Jesus, they were used to seeing Romans kill them. They were used to seeing innocent people charged with crazy, destructive laws just so they could have power over an oppressed people. No one really likely realized the wasteful death of Jesus brought about a newness of life at that moment. But that doesn't change the fact that it did bring about newness. That newness is something that gives us continual new birth. It stirs within us. 
so that we as Christians don't stagnate. It gives us the courage to answer the call of Christ to love as he loved, to wash as he washed. So friends, if you're bored, it's time for something new. Let's be new. Let's see that Christ is calling us to be a new creation. Let's do something about that. Let's be extravagant with our love. Let's be embarrassing with our love. Let's not be bored. And let's do all that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. And now as you're able, will you please stand and recite with me the affirmation of faith today from our Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, for whom all things were made, for us and our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and on the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. This time we'll continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us in this life. God, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and for your courage to use them in a manner in which you see fitting. All this we say in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for this sweet foretaste of your kingdom come. We thank you, Lord, that your death and resurrection brought about for the world salvation. We thank you, Lord, that we don't always understand what it is that you ask us to do, but you're patient with us and your grace abounds as we live our lives trying to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Give us strength, Lord, in our hour of need. Today, God, we pray for the family of Matthew Prince, a friend of the Ivies, who suffered from mental health issues, who was laid to rest. We pray, God, for his family. We pray for a newness of life for them as they remember him. And may his memory forever be a blessing. We pray, God, for all those who mourn and grieve. We pray, Lord, for the war that is occurring in Ukraine. We pray, Lord, for a swift peace to be brought about. We pray, God, for those who are escaping that war for the refugees. We thank you, Lord, for our denomination, for its ability to reach those refugees on a firsthand basis. We pray, God, for the leaders of those warring nations to seek peaceful solutions. We pray, God, for an end to the tumult. And God, we don't understand why you ask us to do this, but we know that you ask us to pray also for our enemies. And while we do not want to, we do pray for those who are against us. We're thankful, Lord, that we live in a country with freedoms which allow us to come and gather for worship this day. We're thankful for our men and women who have answered the call to the ministry of defending our country. We ask, God, that they not be deployed anytime soon to this war. But if they are, Lord, we pray for their safety. We pray for our president, for the leaders of our nation, for our state and local leaders, that they would listen and hear your still small voice crying out from the wilderness. We pray, God, today for those who are unable to worship as boldly as we are, who worship out of fear of persecution or suffering, imprisonment, or even death. We pray for people in Sri Lanka, for the Christians who hide there, Christians in China, in the Horn of Africa, the Middle East. We pray today, God, for those who will literally pray for their daily bread. We ask, God, that you would hear their prayer and burden our hearts to see their need and to meet it. God, we're thankful for this, our church family, and we pray, God, for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. In the stillness of this moment, Lord, we also pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We once again are thankful for this holy sacrament that it nourishes our soul. Grant us your peace that passes no understanding. We say all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 69, I, the Lord of Sea and Sky.
about a month ago, there was an article uh, in the Charleston Gazette. Some of you probably saw it. Miss Donna cut it out and brought it to me. That talks about churches who currently have 100 members or fewer uh, failing to exist in the next 20 years. Is it something like that, Donna? Is that Sunrank? Won't exist. Several ministers were interviewed. Our executive presbyter was interviewed, talked a great deal about it. It was sad. It was horrible. Blah, blah, blah. When I read it, I thought to myself, there is literally no hope in this article whatsoever. Right? And I'm reminded of when I took that journalism class, if it bleeds, it leads, right? And so if it's bad news, that's what we're going to put into newspapers. And I came this close to writing an editorial, and I chose not to because our executive presbyter had been quoted in that article. And what I was going to say is, this is an opportunity. Who says that a church has to be what it's always been before? A church has an opportunity to be something brand new. It can reinvent itself. I think it's exciting that says churches that are stagnant are going to evaporate. I'm okay with that. You know why? Because they're not doing ministry the way that Christ has called us to do. What matters is the churches, regardless if it's five people or 500 people, if they're doing what God asks of them to do, they're going to be alive because they're recognizing that ministry is not about what happens inside this box that we call church. Ministry is about what happens when we leave this place and how we live our lives out there. This is our oasis. This is the place where we come to be rejuvenated, to learn about how we are six other days a week. So I'm excited because we're not going to have any competition in a few years, <laughs> right? Because we're trying to do ministry in this place. We're trying to do something new, which is love everybody that we meet, right? And so unfortunately, just like the text tells us, there's, there's death that has to happen before life can happen. But our life is getting ready to bud. And I think that we are called to do amazing ministries in this place. So I hope that you are excited about that too. Let's continue doing everything that we're doing well. And if we're not doing it well, by all means, let's stop it, right? But let's be who the people that God called us to be in this place. And let our ministry be mighty in Kanawha County. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.